the people just work in the system. And that was the biggest concept. And I didn't have a clear vision on how I could do that. I knew that's what I needed, but I didn't know how to get there. Like, where do you start? Hello, I'm Rod Jans, and you're listening to FuelRadio.com, a show about transformations. This week's show is about the changes that occurred when Fred Lynn Jr., the CEO of Simulex Custom Pressure Die Casting, hired John Neuenberg from W5 Business Coaching. To give you a bit of background, here's a little bit of history concerning Simulex. Simulex is a family-owned business, and Fred is a third-generation owner. The business was originally started by Fred's grandfather in 1962 in the backyard of his home in Surrey, British Columbia, Canada. He was then joined by a fellow by the name of George Wentworth in 1965, and this is when the company became incorporated. In 1966, they decided to pursue die casting, and up to this point, they were just a manufacturing company and didn't really know what they were going to make. Fred's dad left his own job with another die casting company and brought his expertise to Simulex in 1966. He's been part owner ever since. The company prospered and landed some big contracts such as John Deere. Both Fred's dad and George Wentworth retain ownership of the company up to this day, which is actually an additional burden on Fred. I spoke with Fred Lynn Jr., the CEO of Simulex, by phone. And fast forward to today, um, they still retain ownership. Um, I am the CEO of the corporation at this particular moment in time, trying to pursue ownership, um, having some difficulty with George Wentworth and his committee as far as trying to come up with some sort of compensation package along those lines. But we'll get to that one day, I'm sure. So it sounds like your dad is still around. Is he still with us? Oh, yeah. Uh, my dad is uh, 76 this year. George Wentworth is now 85. Both okay. of them have said that they want to get out of the business. Unfortunately, George Wentworth has uh, been stricken with Alzheimer's, so his his thinking and his processing is, uh, well, it's not there anymore. So he has a power of attorney uh, making decisions on his behalf, and that's where the challenge has become mm. for me as far yeah. as trying to get support from ownership. So it's been a real challenge, but we're making through. What Fred told me next will give you some idea about the state of the company when he took over and a few of the many challenges he faced. Does your dad ever come around? Is he still involved or does he stay, stay out of things? No, they just want to take from the company rather than investing. They both realized that the, they had abused the company for many years, basically pulling out every type of profit that the company could generate. And that was shared amongst the two other managers that were running the company on their behalf. Thus the mm-hmm. problem. There was no reinvestment, just maximized profits, which the company has always been successful in doing. But it gets to a point where we really have to reinvest and... Um, those two managers uh, retired, first one in 2009 and the second one in 2011, and they basically left when the business was at its lowest point. 
I could no longer afford to keep them employed, and, and that's when they decided to hand it to me. So that's where I started. From a 50-year-old company, we became almost a startup again. Old machines, I did have, obviously, we own the building and the, and the property it sits on, so I had a fairly good start and a decent customer base, but the, uh, the senior staff uh, no longer existed. Uh, I was the only one looking after engineering, looking after sales, managing the company. Uh, as a professional engineer, I was also responsible for the engineering in the plant, tooling design, right? the list goes on. Just like any other startup business owner, you're a jack of all trades trying to get your fingers in just about everything. You do as much as you can until you run out of time. My hours uh, became very long and stretched out, as you can imagine, and trying to get the company real established until we could afford to hire the the next person and so on. Uh, so I stuck it out for the first year, all through 2012, did everything on my own. As Fred shared, he took over running the company in 2012 and had his hand in every aspect of it. He needed to hire some help. First, he hired a marketing company from Abbotsford, B.C., and that didn't work out the way he wanted it to. In Fred's words, it cost him a ton of money and he didn't get the results he hoped for. Then Fred hired a friend who's a former CEO of a mining company to help with sales and marketing. And in Fred's words, that didn't go very well either. Instead of going out and getting outside sales, Fred's friend waited for sales to come in. Fred tried to find a way to get his friend to go out and make sales, but they couldn't find a way to make it work. Fred even tried to change the job description so that his friend could work more on customer support, which was one of his strengths. But that didn't seem to work out either. It was a bad situation that was only getting worse. When Fred let his friend go, it ended up in court and Fred got sued for wrongful dismissal. In June 2014, Fred decided that he needed to increase sales, so he took on the sales role himself. Even though Fred didn't have a lot of experience in sales, he managed to do quite well. So I decided to take on the sales role myself. And that was probably the best decision I, I could have done. It's not something that I have a lot of skills in, but I have worked along salespeople my whole life as their engineering technical support. And uh, so I reached out to existing customers and um, they were really receptive to me working with them because it was me that they were really wanting to talk to anyway, not a salesperson. They wanted engineering expertise. So I hit the road, attended a lot of shows and, and started reaching out to these people, reestablishing relationships. And I had increased the business in, from June 2014 to the end of the year by 20%. And I thought, I'm on to something here. So I kept it going. And um, I get into uh, 2015 and pressure's on and the, the, the business is still rolling and uh, I get to about, I'm going to say, February, March of 2015, and I'm starting to hit the wall now. Fred was overseeing so many things at his company that he really began to struggle, and he was getting some pressure from home to make some changes. In addition to all my other duties, I'm now taking on the sales role on a, almost a full-time basis. And uh, you can imagine uh, working every weekend, long extended hours, uh, that's not a whole ton of fun for the, the wife and kids. And my wife was putting pressure on to, you know, to do something about this, but I couldn't find a solution, and I was starting to lose that light at the end of the tunnel, become very frustrated, 
pouring everything I could earn back into the business to try and keep it going, that kind of thing. And finally I decided there's something wrong here. I've got to make a different decision. This is when Fred decided to listen to advice from some other business owners and look for a business coach. To find a coach, Fred turned to the internet and he found several coaches that he was interested in interviewing. John Neuenberg was one of the coaches that Fred decided to reach out to. John describes himself as a coach who works with business owners that are looking for time and money freedom. John's company name is W5 Business Coaching. John became a certified coach in 2004 and has been coaching ever since then. Prior to that, John worked as a business consultant, which he started doing in 1997. And prior to that, John worked in high-level positions in sales and management. Being a sales and marketing guy myself, I'm always fascinated with the details of a sale. As I've been talking to coaches recently, one of their main pain points that I'm hearing has to do with getting more business. Listen carefully as Fred describes what stood out to him about John compared to the other coaches he interviewed initially. The majority of them, with exception of John, all they really wanted to talk to me about was looking at the data, looking at spreadsheets, looking at the cash flow situation, that kind of stuff. It was basically a glorified accounting service is what they were approaching with. And that's not the kind of help that that I need. I mean, we already have a pretty good controller in here and I have no trouble with cash flow. So why do I need help on that? And uh, it just didn't make any sense. John had a different approach. He was more than capable of doing that, but he was looking at more of a, uh, like one of the questions as to how would he have put it? Basically, what I would like to change in the business. What did I not like about it? And uh, sort of leading questions. And, of course, he could clearly see what was going on in our conversation. And that basically I was running out of time and didn't have any more options. And just like any other business owner that eventually hits the wall. But John had a solution, you know. And basically he would just work with me and uh, until we could find uh, the path that I needed to go on. But it wasn't... uh, in John's particular case, it wasn't a uh, a magic box. It wasn't like you need to run your business this way in order to be successful. John is very dynamic that way. He analyzes the problem, and then he works with you in solutions. With When you have a dilemma, the first thing you look for is options. It's one of John's famous terms. So, And that kind of turned the light on. Yeah, I have a dilemma here. So what are my options? So we actually laid them all out, and uh, we worked with each scenario and uh, and started moving forward with, uh, with the plan. Here's how John and Fred first got connected in John's words. Sometime in the recent short while, the executive team that uh, Fred Sr. had hired, left the business, and Fred Jr. was then put into the business as the general manager or took over that role. So, you know, you can well imagine that here's a guy who, he's a really smart, uh, bright guy who all of his life was very involved in that sort of technical engineering manufacturing process, and now he was put in a role where he was now going to, you know, take on the role of being a business owner and responsible for every dimension of the business, and he, you know, never really had any training in that area. He struggled with that for some time and was very frustrated when 
he one day reached out to me. He actually sent me an email. Uh, so I, I learned about him totally out of the blue. He sent me an email saying, you know, he needed or was looking for a coach. And we had a, an initial uh, phone call. It's usually about a 15-minute call. And, and on the basis of that, we agreed to meet face-to-face. A lot of the successful coaches I work with have some sort of criteria, like they won't just work with everyone. So what made you agree to work with Fred? My best clients are people who are very motivated and uh, aren't looking for a coach as a crutch to be motivated, but are looking for a path forward. So often in the beginning of the coaching relationship, there isn't really a monetary payoff, a financial return on the investment, and it could take three, four, six months before that actually happens. But the uh, payoff in the beginning is that the business owner starts to get to a place where they can see a light at the end of the tunnel or a, a path forward, a way that they can get to where they want to be from, you know, their their current, the way the situation is currently. So what I'm looking for is uh, someone who fits that description, who's very motivated, got tons of grit, persistence, perseverance, determination, you know, all of those kinds of things, the, the foundational ingredients of success, but need a course, so to speak, or training in, in, uh, in how to be a business owner. So as I sometimes say to my, my prospects, uh, I'll guarantee the financial results, but you got to give me a guarantee as well. And mm. what I mean by that is I know that I, if I agree to work with you, it's because I already can see how to help you get a better financial return. And so the, the financial investment you're making in coaching is I'm guaranteeing you'll get a result. But in order to get that result, you have to commit to willing to commit to the coaching process. And that means being fully engaged and involved in the coaching sessions and um, committing to doing the work that we agree on in the coaching session. So that usually takes two or three weeks or sorry, two or three hours each week to execute on the ideas that we talked about. So if they guarantee that and in fact deliver on that, I know that you can get a a result or a, a return on the financial investment. So you go out and you meet with Fred. Did you meet with him at his business or did you meet somewhere else? No, I I met Fred at his business. I, I like to do that, obviously, because um, I want to get a sense of what their environment is like, what their situation is, have the owner, if I can, to uh, have me, uh, you know, take me on a tour of the facility. It, it uh, really helps me get kind of a grounding or a, a sense of where the business owner is coming from. Yeah, great. And that's my next question. What sense did you get? What was the state of Fred's? What was the state of Simulex, in your opinion, on that first meeting? What did you see? Uh, A business with a ton of potential, a healthy and prosperous business whose owner was so stuck in a trap of doing the doing, you know, being the technician in the classic e-myth sense, that they Mm. didn't know how to step up into the general manager or the CEO role. And so Fred was in the classic trap that I call the, we call the hub and spoke. And so he as the owner was the hub and nothing in their business did, would do, nothing would happen in their business unless somebody uh, daily and sometimes even hourly consulted with Fred. You know, it's a trap. He was stuck. He couldn't leave the business for even an hour because something might happen where someone didn't know what to do. And, you know, then that productivity would be idle until they could get an answer. 
Now that Fred had decided to hire John, it was time for them to roll up their sleeves and get to work. Of course, one of the issues I need to deal with was reducing my time spent at Simulex, which requires me to hire some people. Okay, so how do we do that? And it's just, just going to be a glorified managerial position where I have to train salespeople to, for example, to to be successful in this business. I mean, these people just don't exist in die casting. It's just this is not a common industry on the West Coast, and finding somebody with that experience is, forget it. They're still going to need to have their diapers changed by an engineer on a time-to-time basis. So I really had a hard time with that. But John actually found a solution with that, and that was the first thing we worked on. And that was coming up with a system where we could essentially create a sales system and then plug younger salespeople into our system. And then uh, we took a look at, well, how can we compensate these people? so that it's fair and I'm not constantly getting bugged with outrageous commission checks because they want to have residual income from a sales they made 10 years ago. I wasn't interested in that and that type of salespeople and also give them the incentive to, to continue to earn and better themselves. So we came up with a, a compensation package in that regard and it was John that had put it forward. So what were some of those first steps that Fred had to take? So the first few steps typically are to do around the financial uh, dimension of the business. So that has to do with uh, building out a business plan and uh, uh, a marketing plan and uh, helping the business owner develop a USP, which is a unique selling proposition or what differentiates them in the marketplace. In this particular case, you know, as I said earlier, from a sales and marketing point of view, the business was thriving, and it had more to do with uh, Fred coming to terms with what his strengths were, are what his strengths are, and what his limitations are, and to develop a path and uh, complementing or finding a way to build in some strengths, uh, and that largely was by acquiring or recruiting other people to help them out. So, you know, over the course of the time I've been working with him, I started in April of 2015, so it's about 15 months now. He's uh, you know, recruited a guy who's helping him on the sales and marketing side, and, and so, you know, that uh, means that Fred can now, doesn't have to do that personally, and he can lead the sales and marketing uh, process through the offices of this guy that he's hired, uh, as well as someone who manages the production facility, so that Fred isn't a first-line kind of supervisor in the production area. There's someone there who manages that on a daily basis. The third dimension that we're looking to get some support for him would be on the engineering side and the quoting side, which he still personally does. Uh, And um, as we move through, we're going to find someone who can take that on. And as a result of that, Fred will have someone who is a key driver in each of the three most important dimensions of his business. And he'll, you know, kind of have bench strength in each of those areas. Uh, And as he develops his ability to lead those people, he now has, you know, that that freedom that he, you know, he can go to the gym every day. He literally, you know, he can arrive there in the morning. He he can take a couple of hours and do what he wants to do. He's, He's been on a vacation. You know, <laughs> that didn't involve being at the beck and call of the phone every day. You, you can yeah. turn the phone off and and um, uh, and enjoy his time away. And that had a profound effect 
on his uh, personal situation, on his marriage, and on you know his home life. Uh, what else had to change uh, in your in your business in order for you? It sounded like your main. Tell me if I've got this right. Your main deal, your main breaking point was that you were just really quite overwhelmed and you were recognizing that you were just super busy and, and uh, in John's words, it sounds like everything was sort of having to come through you and that uh, you, you maybe more than anything had a bit of a, a delegation problem. Uh, delegation, um, because I simply did not have a way, nor did I have the staff to delegate to. Um, I was the only engineer left in here. I have a, a tool making staff, so uh, we did have some good people on the floor with uh, with capabilities to work with their hands, but I really didn't have supervisors as such to, to delegate to, and there was no real system in place, nor was there ever uh, a system in place. You know, you're kind of loosey-goosey with, uh, with the control in the plant, and um, as far as supervisors go, well, the old school guys didn't exist either. So I felt in my own mind the best guy for the job is me. But obviously in the short term, eventually I wanted to find that right person. So you start to get to a point where you, you're trying to look for that person which never exists to your standards, and you can look forever, but they're never going to exist. You'll never find that perfect guy. So that doesn't mean I don't need one, and it doesn't mean I can't uh, work with a, uh, a person that I hire. But I need to have a system that runs the business, not the people. The people just work in the system. And that was the biggest concept. And I didn't have a clear vision on how I could do that. I knew that's what I needed, but I didn't know how to get there. Like, where do you start? You know, obviously right. I've got to drive the business. So I'm working with all kinds of different needs in the plant, from equipment upgrades to personnel changes because we had an aging workforce to moving production through the plant and selling the stuff too and making sure we're profitable. So where do you actually sit down and all by yourself and come up with this system on top of it? I just couldn't see it. I didn't have the experience in that regard. And, uh, and that's really where it came down to. I knew what I needed to do, but I had no idea how to get there. Would you say that's the main thing that John has helped you with is to, well, to, to look into your business, to identify things that needed to be, uh, some helpful things that needed to be changed, but then also to help you to implement uh, new systems? Yeah, and John was, he's also a great mentor in that he's a very easy person to talk to. He understands he's not, he holds me accountable to sit different things that I've committed to do but he's not forcing me into the box that he says I need to be in in order to be successful. He's not judgmental by any stretch. He mm. works with me and my needs, and he totally recognizes that this is my business and it's going to be run the way I want to. So what he comes up with is, well, if we're going to take that particular uh, focus, it's my vision that we're trying to accommodate. Here's how we need to put a system in place, you know, for several reasons. We want to obviously drive the value of the business up. 
increase its revenue, of course, because I have no ambitions of selling it anyway, but I still like to create more revenue. Succession, of course, will go to my son, who currently works in the business, so I need to maximize the company's value so that when he buys me out, that can establish my retirement. That was sort of the plan as far as succession goes, but I need to drive the value of the business up in order to do that. When I first started, the value of the business was essentially me. To a lot of extents, it still is. and Not as bad as it was, but we're, we're improving day by day. But because I have so much experience and have my fingers in just about everything in this business, it's not really increasing the value. That is, of course, incorrect. I want to have an, be an owner that can actually enjoy life. And I'm not in business just so because I, I enjoy working business to improve my lifestyle and increase my income level. That's why I take the risk and put the effort in. Working in the business 80 hours a week is not a solution to that. There's no way for any person to to run a life. There is a better way. Uh, And a lot of times it doesn't come out of, uh, you know, the person in that particular situation's head. We need to have an outside point of view or a fresh point of view with fresh ideas. I wondered if there had been any cultural changes at Simulex, so I posed the question to John. How about in the business and like the, the overall uh, business culture and, and the people that work in the business? What sort of changes have you seen for them? Because it sounds like there was probably quite a high level of frustration in, in the beginning. You know, um, so there's now um, there's a guy named Ward who now runs the production facility, and uh, he has an entirely different uh, leadership style than Fred does, and so I think that's a wonderful thing for the people in the uh, who run the who do the run the dies and and do the work in the back shop. Uh, what's important about that is that Fred um, has developed his leadership skills, and part of what that means is that although he knew there was a better way, he didn't know how to get to it, and so that frustration I'm expressing would mean that you know his way of coping with stuff would just to blow up to get angry and um and so he's now doesn't have that stress so he's not experiencing that those times of you know just complete o- emotional overload and as a result he's become a better leader and that's had a profound effect on how things work around there since john mentioned that fred occasionally lost his temper at the office I tried to ask Fred about any changes in a sensitive way. You mentioned uh, being grumpy. <laughs> Would you say you're less grumpy now? Do you think that you know oh, for sure. ma- yeah. making these changes helped you be a, a little bit less of a grump? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the employees ask, we haven't seen you for such a long time, Fred. We miss you out on the floor. Yeah. You know, and, and I come back, like, I, to be honest with you, Rod, I, I, I like to work early, so I'm usually starting work in here about 5.30 because I like to be able to answer the phone for our Eastern customers. And and then I get in uh, about 7.30, quarter to 8. I mean, I'm uh, a fanatic power lifter and bodybuilder. I've done that for almost 35 years. So getting to the gym is quite important to me, and it, but it requires time. And I, and quite honestly, I didn't have the time, but now I do. So at 7.30, 8 o'clock, I hop in the car and I go to the gym for a couple hours. You know, when I first started doing that, you know, the phone was ringing, the texts were coming and all that kind of stuff. But now I don't get any. I just leave. 
<laughs> and then I come back and I walk through the plant and see what's going on out there and I talk to the staff and, you know, shake some hands and participate in their day-to-day events and just keeping abreast of what, uh, getting to know them, that kind of thing. And then I go back up to my office and continue on with coding and engineering. And generally speaking, I don't have to be on the floor for the rest of the day. <laughs> wow. What a change, eh? What a change. It is. It's amazing. And it's exactly what I enjoy doing. But the system in such a way that I'm not, John puts it, I'm not abdicating any position in this business. I have my hand in every position. I just don't have to be there on a day-to-day basis. But the communication is always managed up to me. So I know exactly what's going on, what issues are with individual employees, you know, that kind of stuff. And I can demand it at any particular time, and it would be given to me at a moment's notice. So I don't need to be there. And, of course, I see once a week, I see how the business is running. I see cash flow. I see all those important metrics. And they are managed up to me. They know what's required, and we have a complete detailed list. So when I sit down on a Friday afternoon with the operations staff, they know exactly what I'm looking for. Do you think they've experienced a bit of a breakthrough or a tipping point? Did you Was there a point where you're going along and you're going, oh, okay, this is, this is really working. <laughs> Things are really starting to change around here. Yeah, the tipping point from my point of view is that in May last year, Fred had committed as he had for the previous eight years to to go on a conference with his wife to um, to um, a business that his wife is involved in and so he'd committed to going to this thing for eight years and never kept the commitment mm-hmm. every time as the conference drew near he'd have to pull the pin and say well I can't make it uh, so this year he committed to going in May the event was in November as as November drew near, there was you know a moment or two or a time or two where he uh, wondered if it was the, if he was able to get away. But he kept that commitment to himself, and that really was the turning point. And that he saw that the business could thrive without his personal intervention every day, and that it had a profound, as I've said, a profound effect on uh, his personal well-being, his state of well-being, as well as his personal life. A lot of what I help Fred with is on the personal mindset stuff, on how he thinks of him, how he operates as a leader. And uh, so the the um, the thing I'm going to say about it is that he's developed a, a great deal more self-awareness of his impact and his impact on other people. Uh, and to become more effective in how he leads, delegates, and communicates with his team, with the team there. I asked both Fred and John to come up with a tip or something that they have learned from this coaching experience. Here's what Fred offered. The one tip is finding a business coach that is willing to work with your problems, not the ones that they want to solve according to their agenda. It has the business owner has his own vision and and a coach has to be willing to work according to that vision. I guess what I'm trying to say Rod is you need to have a business coach that's willing to work with you and alongside you, not stand out in front and tell you exactly how you should run your business. He's not the captain of the ship. He's just there to assist you and give you guidance. Here are John's key takeaways after coaching Fred for 15 months. 
Well, let me offer you another riddle, which is I'm going to offer you two. Uh, okay. So the first of what you have, it's, I, I collect these things. Uh, so <laughs> if the owner wants a better business, first the business needs a better owner. And that is a, you know, an important lesson for lots of business owners who recognize, who, who need to recognize that it's, uh, if it's to be, it's up to them. And that the, that as long as the owner thinks the problem is out there, that's the problem. The problem, you know, always starts with what we're prepared to do to change, what we're prepared to, how we're prepared to develop. So that, uh, that's part one. And the second riddle I wanted to offer you is that, uh, you don't, the, a business owner often d- doesn't have the culture they want. They have the culture they deserve. Mm-hmm. And, um, if they, they have to get very proactive and, and, uh, act with intention, if they want to move the culture in a way that it's a culture they're happy with, as opposed to the, you know, the version of the one they deserve, which is the byproduct of their current style of leadership and delegation. So, you know, going back to your question, if if you are a business owner and you're not happy with how the business is going, then blaming your team because they don't do it right isn't going to make change happen. They're doing it in the way they're doing it because that's how you're leading them. That's how you're teaching them. That's how you're role modeling it. And if you want different outcomes, then you, the business owner, have to conduct yourself in a different way. I asked John about his typical client and the challenges they are facing before they engage him. The kind of work that I do has three sections to it. So first of all, most people take on business coaching because they want some help in their business and that has to do around the systems tools strategies in their business typically another dimension though is that they're also looking for someone who helps hold them accountable for the results that they want to get lots of business owners enjoy that in fact as much as anything because what happens so often is they're in a way kind of lonely Um, they don't really have anybody they can talk to about their business in an open way with someone who's involved but arm's length you know, sometimes they can talk to their, their spouse, but, you know, that has some limitations. They can talk to, um, you know, colleagues in the industry and that kind of thing, but, you know, there's always issues around privacy and competitive advantage and that kind of thing. And so they truly do enjoy working with someone who they can openly discuss their ideas. So that's the second part. And the third part has to do with uh, personal performance or changing mindset or growing as an individual, and that often has to do with, uh, growing as uh, their leadership skills, delegation skills, and communication skills. So those are the three dimensions. When coming back to the business dimension, usually the business owners are challenged in one of three buckets. Uh, and what that means is they're challenged having to do with their time. Uh, so they're saying, "I've got too much to do, not enough time to do it," or "I can't if it doesn't if I don't do it, I won't get done." Or uh, nobody can do it as good as me, which is also uh, part of the second bucket, which has to do with team. And that's, you know, they're challenged with getting the team to do the work at the level they want, um, recruiting good team members, motivating the team members. Uh, and so they're they're making complaints around, you know, they, they're very motivated except the eight hours they work for me or that kind of thing. And then the uh, third bucket has to do with money, and money has two dimensions to it. Uh, so the first dimension, of course, is the accounting part. Where's the money? Counting the money, uh, uh, creating a dashboard to um, evaluate performance, that kind of thing. And then the second part of 
the second dimension of money is to do with I need more money, I need better sales and marketing. So that's in in the thumbnail version of how I work with clients. What what in particular are the kinds of clients who who reach out and want some help from someone like me? Thanks again to Fred and John for sharing this part of their coaching journey with us. It's so inspiring to see how far they've come in just 15 months. Okay, I didn't mention this off at the top, but this is our first episode back on Fuel Radio after a nine-month hiatus. I've been hosting the Jelly Marketing Podcast over at jellymarketing.com. I'll be back with my next Fuel Radio episode with Master Coach Julie Parker. There's a bunch of interesting Fuel Radio episodes coming up where I interview Dan Locke, Benson Sung, Patty Kay, and Kate Query in a similar fashion to this episode. I'm also heading to Seattle in a couple days to interview a rising star in the coaching industry, and I'm going to keep that one a surprise. Thanks for listening to FuelRadio.com. Writing and editing of this episode was provided by Elise Kodak. Take care, everybody.